Welcome back to Double Feature, the IDS film podcast where the powers that be let us in a podcast booth to give you hot takes and maybe some lukewarm ones too. I'm Chris Forrester. I'm Annie Aguiar. And this is Double Feature. (laughs) There's an accepted rule in film that remakes suck and that horror remakes suck even more. Think 90s Godzilla, the shot-for-shot psycho redo, and the needless reboots of Halloween. Friday the 13th, and Nightmare on Elm Street. On today's episode of Double Feature, we're talking about a horror remake we love to pieces. Luca Guadagnino's Suspiria, as well as the 1977 original that inspired it, Dario Argento's cult classic, Suspiria. I don't think that you could come up with a better pair of horror movies. Than Suspiria and Suspiria. Than Suspiria and Suspiria. I just love that this is our second yeah, this is our doing... second horror movie episode where the movies are the same. I mean, we love us a good remake. So, Annie, do you prefer Suspiria or Suspiria? You know, Chris, I really, I, I think it's kind of a hot take, but my heart's with Suspiria. Really? Interesting. I think I like Suspiria a little bit better. Huh. All right, enough goofs. <laughs> <laughs> so, for those of you who are uninitiated. Uncultured. Un- uncultured. uncultured. Dario Argento is an Italian dude. Yes, he's a dude. Uh, his 1977 horror movie Suspiria was like the plot is there a plot yeah there's there's a plot it's about an American ballet student Susie Banyan who goes to Freiburg Germany to study at this dance academy that may or may not be the front for a coven of witches and it's really there's not much of a plot beyond that the plot's incidental it's essentially a really, really, really gorgeous dark fairy tale. The main reason to watch the 1977 Suspiria isn't for an intricate, compelling, complex plot or character development. It's just because every shot is gorgeous. Yeah, Dario Argento does this thing in a lot of his movies, but Suspiria, like, to the max, where no matter what the setting is, it could be a chick standing in the woods and he will just throw whatever colors of neon lighting on the shot that he feels like it to create this, these beautiful and really vivid shots and these really, really intoxicating moods. It's so pretty. It doesn't make any sense, but it's so it's pretty. It's so striking. Like if you ask me to recall a particular line of dialogue from the original Suspiria. Oh, I couldn't. I can recall the the soundtrack saying, which but i can't i can't recall dialogue or plot points it the movie is not subtle but you know what it doesn't need to be it is gorgeous and fantastic and such a lesson in a film can be a good film outside of having a story yes a good story and i think another thing that i really like about a lot of dario's films um and suspiria especially is that he doesn't like realism and he does a lot of horror that kind of rejects realism and that's good because it allows him to be really garish and violent and brutal and in your face with stuff but it doesn't feel as sickening when you watch you know I mean there's a shot in this movie of this girl who gets stabbed so many times that like her chest is ripped open and you can see her heart but it looks fake enough that you're just kind of like there it is it's cartoonish it's a lot of gore is very viscerally upsetting to viewers but I never felt like, you know, watching. Yeah, the there are a couple of points in this movie where I feel a little bit like that's disgusting. But because, I mean, the blood essentially looks like red paint and yeah. the guts and everything 
that you don't want to see in a movie looks so fake that it's not really that upsetting. He's like a master of style. And because everything is so heightened and is so otherworldly and dark fairy tale, it really it really turns something that would be disgusting into something really palatable, I feel. It's also so pretty. Yeah, and I think original Suspiria is the first film in a trilogy, and it's easily the best. And I think that having seen the two later ones, something that he kind of loses sight of is that, like, the power of his, like, impressionism and the way that Suspiria feels so heightened because I watched Mother of Tears last night, and it just disgusted me because it's so not... He just completely forgets about the weird, like, hyper-realism, and it's just kind of a straightforward, gory horror movie with a lot of really, really gross violence that looks too real. Would you say it's kind of similar to the Halloween franchise's problem, where you lose sight of what made the original so great? Kind of. I think there are still some interesting ideas with the witches, but it's definitely not as simple and it's not the dark fairy tale. The thing I love so much about the original Suspiria is that it, it's just this really moody and creepy, but also like entrancing dark fairy tale about this girl who gets like pulled into this dark world and you, the viewer, feel like you're getting roped into. And I'd be remiss if I didn't men- mention how amazing the score for this movie is. Yeah. I think the original Suspiria is one of the things that makes it stand out in my mind is it's so... It summons a mood. It does. And the word you used, entrancing, is so accurate. You feel like you're transported to a place you've never been before. It's really an experience to watch the original if you've never seen it before. And the soundtrack is a huge part of that. Like you said, the whispered witch. Yeah, I mean, it's not subtle, as we mentioned, but it's done by a prog rock band called Goblin that did the scores for some of Dario's other movies that are also pretty good but it just it's so there's this little I don't even know what to call it It sounds kind of like a music box but creepy and not in a not in a trite way at all it's totally unlike any film score that you've ever heard Um, and it's so beautiful this movie just has a way of like announcing itself and does making itself so iconic in a way that is unlike anything that is in, within the popular, I feel, canon of yeah. horror. Well, and I feel like it's super bizarre because this yeah. movie is not really well known. I mean, it's well known to like, it's a film historians. Cult classic, it's a cult I would classic, say, yeah. But it, for a movie that if you just walked up to people on the street and you were like, have you heard of Suspiria? They would not know it. But it's so influential. I mean, I don't think you'd have The Shining mm-hmm. with those aesthetics and set design without this. I don't think you'd have a lot of mainstream horror. We didn't talk about the set design yet. Yeah, the set design is amazing. There's this hotel that a character goes to in the beginning of the movie, and it is the prettiest place to die oh, yeah. I've ever seen. Every That's another part of the magic of it that does make it otherworldly and heightens it. Every single place looks like a weird mix between a castle and like a carnival. Yeah. It's so strange. It's It just adds to that feeling of detachment from reality. And I think that it's the sort of movie where if any element of it felt too realistic, it would totally break the spell. But because all of it feels so yeah. 
detached from reality, you feel like you've been sucked into the world of this, like, dark, horrific storybook mm-hmm. for kids. God. One of the things he was like, it's Snow White, or one of his things, is Susie is Snow White type yeah. of deal. And it doesn't, sti- it doesn't stick to that, you know, one for one, because that would be dumb, but it's so... And I feel like you do have the convention, obviously, of the girl goes into an unknown place. Oh, no. And she has to navigate it. And we're, she's using we're using her as kind of like the audience stand in. Yeah. You know, but it doesn't feel trite. It doesn't feel tired. It doesn't feel unoriginal. Like Susie Banyan, you don't really know anything about her. But God, I love her. I love that dumb gal yeah yeah i agree with that i think it works because it's so singular it's sort of the in the in the age of disney movies and those Mm -hmm. being the sort of fairy tales that people grow up with here's one that's really weird and dark and creepy and yeah and it doesn't necessarily have a deeper meaning yeah because it doesn't need to that's not what it's It's trying to pretty and engrossing not what it's trying to accomplish you know this is a movie i would give five stars to knowing huge flaws within oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah. is the t- the type of movie where uh, it ends and I think, all right, really bad plot, not great performances, like really dumb characters. Yeah. Five stars because the lighting, set design, score, and overall mood and direction are just so flawless, so beyond flawless. They're just unlike anything you've ever seen before. I feel that too much of mainstream understanding of movies is rooted within plot like the second something has a plot hole it's a terrible movie like i mean i think that's the the problem of the age of cinema sins yeah. where it's like well in star wars the last jedi you can see that this character's hairstyle changes between shots therefore this is the worst movie ever it's dumb it's like saying that the only meaningful thing about a song is the lyricism no Pe- i agree with you yeah people need to kind of foster an understanding for medium outside mediums outside of the most readily obvious one to look at and critique. And I don't think watching the Suspiria 1977 is a fantastic first way to kind of begin thinking like that, but it is a shock to the system. And it is one of those things that is utterly like, hey, plot doesn't matter. Film can do more without plot being the main driving thing. Like, that did that for me, and Mulholland Drive did that for me kind of very heavily. But it's interesting to see this movie where the plot is incidental and then it being used to kind of get at a bigger point in its 2018 remake. I think... You said this when when we saw it the other day, right after it ended, as we were like walking out of the theater, overhearing Lady Gaga singing from the <laughs> Stars Born showing down the hallway, that it's weird in 2018 to say that any film is truly unlike anything you've ever seen before, but especially a remake. But the new Suspiria is truly one of the most singular and totally out there movies I have ever seen. And it is flat out incredible i've seen it twice now and both times it just floored me me and chris took a road trip to indianapolis just to see it because it's not playing in bloomington (laughs) that was my second road trip to indianapolis to see suspiria and it was worth every single minute of it so i'm sure our audience is aware but the director of the new one luca guadagnino 
you know him because he did call me by your name. Yeah. And he's the most artistically horny director yeah, well, I've he, ever seen. He also made I Am Love, which is about a woman in a rich family of um, industrialists having an affair with her son's business partner oh. and a bigger splash, which is just a like vacation raunchy sex movie. It's so but, good. But more artsy and refined than that. So essentially, Luca Guadagnino has built this reputation for himself as that one Italian dude who makes movies about rich people having sex. Yeah. And then he just came out and said, all right, ladies and gentlemen, here's my new film. It's a two and a half hour horror remake based on a 90 minute plotless style over substance Italian film. And wow, it works. It, it works, works. Which is the crazy thing. Like. I don't even know where to begin talking about this. And one of my initial reactions to it is just the pure intensity. I feel like a lot of people describe things as like, oh, my God, that was wild. This movie is wild. There's something animalistic and carnal about it in a way that I didn't expect about a movie that takes place primarily at a dance school. Yeah. God. Yeah, I mean there are there are a couple of key changes to not necessarily the main plot, it's still the same idea of a an American ballet or an American ballerina. She's not a ballet student in this one. She's from Ohio and she goes to Germany. This time it's in Berlin in 1977, which is the year the original released and notably that's in the midst of the Cold War in a period called the German Autumn. Um and there's still a dance academy that's a front for a coven of witches. Um but other than that, these films are just two completely separate beasts. Yeah, it is. It They look completely different, whereas the original kind of revels in its poking fun at how we expect films to look with all these colors and this dramatic lighting. The new one, save for some very like intense scenes where things do get ramped not up to 10 not to 11 but like to 30,000 yeah where colors get a bit wacky it's gray the yeah. co- the life has been sucked out of this, this divided this berlin very like blanched like bleached white color palette where everything is just gray and desaturated and it all feels very grim and gloomy People were upset of, like, how are you going to remake Suspiria and not have it be colorful? But it really does work. And one of the reasons that I feel like this does work, there's a, the whole cover version thing, if you could. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Luca Guadagnino describes this more as a quote-unquote cover version, which I don't even think it's that. A cover version is, you know, when Sam Smith performs an Adele song and does his I'm Sam Smith, I sound like I'm singing in the shower instead of Adele's actual talent. Um, <laughs> well, I a cover version is in like an interpretation that still sticks to the source material. This is a I'm going to borrow the original plot because I think that I can say something new and make something new with it. And he just does his own thing. And it's brilliant. I think the cover version, I think the cover metaphor works if you think of like hurt Nine Inch Nails versus hurt Johnny Cash, if you've ever heard those. Yeah. Yeah. Like that cover takes this base the base language and the base idea and turns it into just so much more and uses it as a vehicle to get at very different perspectives. And that's what I feel Luca Guadagnino is doing here. It is 
using the Suspiria base because it's beloved, it's fantastic, but it's using it to say a lot more about this film gets it kind of like societal memory and trauma yeah. and how we deal generational with it. generational guilt and... yeah and guilt and how we deal with guilt and shame on an individual level and that if you watch the original Suspiria like there's that's obviously not in yeah there, none of those things know? are present yeah so I really loved that kind of we're using this that was style over substance and we're objecting it we're injecting it with substance but also creating a new stylistic language that is gorgeous yeah and i think obviously this will probably go down as one of the most polarizing films ever it doesn't have a cinema score yet i keep checking because i'm honestly a bit like feverishly excited for the day that cinema score tweets suspiria 2018 receives an f god Um, but i love how unapologetic it is i mean it is in stretches, it is one of the most brutally violent movies I've ever seen. It is disturbed. It is sick. It is twisted. It rejects, like, cinematic conventions of how you should make a movie and shoot things and edit things. But it's just so – it all coheres so well into this completely unique and completely powerful version of this story. The movie definitely isn't for everyone. Oh, yeah. But the Um, people that it's for, it's really for them. I think the most telling thing is when when this movie ends and it ends with a gut punch of a final shot. I don't think I will like ever stop feeling upset about it. (laughs) Um, Annie and I are both like looking at each other teary eyed and like hugging and talking about like that was so beautiful. And the people next to me are getting up and they're like, Thank God that was free. And like everyone's talking about how much they hated it. People are like walking out in the middle. Yeah, people. There's a scene probably 45 minutes into the movie where Susie is dancing, performing this piece called Volk that she dances the role of the protagonist in. And she is unwittingly controlling the body of this other dancer. Um, And it's sort of a metaphor, I think, for bodily autonomy in some ways. And that this girl doesn't have control over her own body. And she's just ripped to pieces well not ripped to pieces but she's just twisted and contorted and it's sick it is really gruesome but god you have to know this is going to be gruesome i still don't understand people who walked out of like this is suspiria this is something that's known for being like you can't go to that movie and not expect gore there's a shot in the trailer of this girl whose body is getting contorted slammed into a wall and her jaw like breaks out of place and her teeth start coming out. Yeah. One of the things that I really like about the remake that is a big difference from the original is that in the original, the setting being a dance school felt utterly incidental. But in this one, they really do kind of get at dance and levels of, they really get at dance and use it as kind of a metaphor for the whole bodily autonomy and I'm trying to think of how to say this. I think um, one thing identity (laughs) that I love about Luca is that his films are all in some capacity about repression and escaping it. Mm -hmm. And 
generally that's been about like sexual repression with his you know rich people having sex trilogy but here it's for Susie about escaping the like oppressiveness of her Mennonite upbringing and then dance becomes this sort of freedom where the body is removed from all expectations or like um requirements and it's just this tool of like pure carnal energy and expression um but the interesting thing is that it's expressing your energy and your expression and stuff while being an interpretation of someone else's work of someone else choreographed that dance and i guess you could kind of look at the movie as Luca dancing Dario's dance, but just bringing like so that. much more to it. Luca is performing the protagonist in Volk. Yeah, yeah. This is one. Of, I really, really love how this explores dance and makes you think about the nature of performance and kind of how at the end of the day, I feel like one of the lessons you can take from this is that the best response or like a valid response to an oppressive society is the creation of art is kind of the biggest, simplest takeaway. It just has so much on its mind. And that's another Mm -hmm. thing that's going to be so off-putting for so many people. I mean, I have been thinking about this movie nonstop since the first time I saw it a week and a half ago. And I've read so many analyses of um, the themes and some of the ideas. And there's so far that there are interpretations of like Freudian psychology as it applies to Suspiria and what art means and generational guilt. But I think if you're willing to meet it on its own terms and really invest in the ideas that it's putting out, there is just so much there. And it's just so much more than I've ever felt like a film has had to offer me. Like, I do think its morals and its kind of lessons it's trying to impart are scattered. And there is some criticism about it using the political climate not as thoroughly as it could have as a backdrop, and it's just kind of looking for meaning by association. I'm not sure if I entirely buy I that I disagree arc. with that. I'm I was not... thinking about the one yeah. the, um, thing that we were reading about how the Berlin Wall is just sort of there, so you'll think about it. But I think, I mean, divide is a huge idea in this film. It becomes this sort of like divide, especially for the character of the psychiatrist who's new to this film, who's um, the psychiatrist of a girl who's run away from the coven Um, And he doesn't believe her, but it becomes for him this sort of divide between past and present where it's like literally keeping him from taking what he needs to learn from his past and applying it to his present. I I see that, but I still don't know where I land on that side of the conflict. And then there's the question of like. Who's the villain? Is there a villain? What are we supposed to do? Does there need to be a villain? Does there need to be a villain? It's there's a lot of stuff that is like not perfect, much like the original. However, this is still a five star movie for me. It only five out of five. <laughs> everything it does, it does so well that I'm willing to overlook flaws and recommend this. Yeah, like, I think two thoughts on the some of the response to it. I think that being unwilling to like approach a film and really think about it for a long time before you make these diagnoses of like it's bad because it doesn't have a clear villain or it's bad because it wants you to derive meaning by just throwing out a bunch of historical context. Um, I think that's really lazy and 
art deserves better, especially art that's been so lovingly and passionately crafted as this. Um, and two, I have such a soft spot in my heart for these sorts of like big, huge, bold, like, but also kind of messy films that put out a lot of really, really deeply complicated ideas and then can't quite make something perfect and I would, cohesive yeah. out of them. It reminds me of The Last Jedi, which I love, um, and the Twin, Pe the Twin Peaks movie, Fire Walk With Me, um, which is this really, really terrifying and sad and complicated investigation of like trauma and addiction and sexual abuse. Um, and I think that it's almost better because if you end up with one of these sort of what what I go to in thinking of these sorts of movies is like the Christopher Nolan or the Denis Villeneuve of the big, polished, perfect blockbuster where every dialogue or every line of dialogue and every plot point has some significance and you end with this like perfectly like sculpted thesis about blah. It just feels so lifeless. But Suspiria to me just crackles with this energy and thoughtfulness. I would rather something be imperfect and messy and legitimately challenging and new than something as polished and just utterly boring. Like, oh, what? The Dark Knight? Are some people good and some people bad? I never would have guessed. Like, this is not a movie that you walk away from with a clean tidy wrapped up moral and it's not supposed to be and it's not supposed to resolve everything so if you are a sucker for cohesive satisfying narrative like sorry this ain't the film for you you know there but there have been plenty of films for you over the decades i am such a fan of like you said just the boldness it takes to make this movie and the willingness to say you know what a lot of people aren't going to like this. I'm still going to do it. Yeah. I mean, it's sad because I want literally nothing more from the art world than to see Luca's interpretation of Inferno and the Mother of Tears, which are the two sequels to the original Suspiria. And I, this movie has not even made $2 million since it released, I don't think. I don't, I don't know if I want to see the next two. Like, I'm fine with this being... I mean, I'm, this. this is more than I ever could have asked for, yeah. but I still want more. Okay. We could literally talk about this for hours. We need to wrap it up. We do. And I think in closing, we need to talk about Dakota and Tilda. To, How did we get through this without talking about Because them? there is so much that this film okay. has to offer. Susie Banyan is played by Dakota Johnson, who is just, oh, brilliant, God, incredible. And- Tilda Swinton, who is one of Luca's favorite actresses yeah, to work she's, with. Yeah, he's cited her as yeah. his muse. Plays three different characters, and I want to give her three different Oscars. Only three? All of them. I'll give it to her for sound design. I don't <laughs> care. She deserves it. She's Tilda. No director knows how to use Tilda better than Luca. Yeah, I really think her performances in this movie are the heart and soul especially yes. so she plays madame blanc who's the choreographer at the dance academy she also plays another character who i will not reveal because that's a, a big plot point late in the movie and she plays the psychiatrist dr klemperer um which is tilda swinton playing a man and it works yeah 
I I mean, you can tell that it's Tilda and you can tell that it's a man playing a woman, but there's some really fascinating subtext to delve into there in the way that the movie rejects female or male perspectives. Yeah. This movie is utterly, completely and unapologetically feminine, but not in a pandery girl power way, Yeah, which is something I really admire. And the other thing I admire is that it is so at its core feminine and it doesn't feel the need to really spend a lot of time discussing masculinity and delving into, oh, well, how do we like how do we counter the masculine force? Because it doesn't need to concern itself with that. And that's a distraction that so many discussions of the feminine fall into and it takes the focus away. And this movie doesn't do that. Luca Guadagnino, even though he is a gay man, loves women. Yeah. And I think this is one of the most, I don't know if I would go so far as to call it radically feminist, but I would call it radically feminine. Yeah. And I think because of how radically feminine it is, it is inherently radically feminist. Calling it feminist is really limiting. Yeah. It's a very simple diagnosis yeah. of such a complicated and challenging and nuanced film. Yeah. This is. It is just so deeply rewarding on every level and in such a profound way. I completely understand why so many people saw it and just said, I hate this. Yeah. But I think for for the people who can really truly appreciate it and take it to heart and think about it and meet it on its own terms, this is flat out not only this will be the best film of the year by far, but this is just an instant classic. I can't wait in 30 years to be like, oh, I saw Suspiria in theaters. In theaters. I okay. saw Suspiria twice in theaters and <laughs> I loved it from the beginning. So there. Yeah. This is gonna movie this is gonna be a movie where in 30 years, if you still don't like it, you're wrong. You yeah. Know? Okay. We again, we could talk about this for, for so long. For so long. We there is really... so much to talk about and think about and consider. Okay, so ending ending note. If you Tilda. think you Tilda, if you think you are ready for it. Go see it. Go see it. Drive to Indianapolis. If you're home for Thanksgiving break and you're somewhere where it's playing, go see it. I would say the the highest recommendation I can probably give to a movie, if this thing is within a three-hour drive of you, <laughs> go see it. Yeah. Take a whole day to go see it. Because the thing is, we saw it in the afternoon on Saturday, and I just like couldn't do anything with the rest of my day <laughs> because I was so deep in thought about so much of this movie. I just like laid in my bed, and I was like, can we ever overcome the past? God. Okay. That's it. We have to stop talking. We love this film. <laughs> and we love you for listening to this episode of Double Feature. I've been Chris Forrester. I am Annie Aguiar. And Tilda Swinton will be the only human who survives the apocalypse. Thank you for listening. <laughs>